So <clears throat> I'm uh, recovering from this flu or cold, so if I cough, I'm, I'll try not to, but I apologize. Um, so Psalm 1 is obviously the beginning of Psalms and sets the tone for the rest of the book. And it's really a psalm that, of comparison, a contrasting between really the righteous and the wicked or the ungodly. <clears throat> and I put this into three points of an outline. And the first point um, is verse 1, the progressive choices of the ungodly. And then... <clears throat> And then verse 2 is the delight of the righteous. And then the rest of the psalm is uh, really contrasting the results. So, so that's the outline we'll follow today. And uh, <clears throat> let's just read verse 1 again. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So the psalmist starts with the word blessed, another, or how happy, so it depends on your translation. But it's really saying that even though it infers that the blessed or the happy man is the one who is righteous. And then he contrasts this with what the wicked or the ungodly person does. And the way I read this psalm, I think there's a progression of <clears throat> the ungodly person and what they do. And the first one it talks about is that they do not walk in the, or that they, the ungodly person walks in the advice of the wicked. So what does that mean? So I did my best trying to look up the original Hebrew words and how do how can I translate that or put it into uh, maybe a sentence that we have a better understanding of? So I came up with, um, you live in a way that allows the influence of those who are against God. Now, and we can do that in ways that we're not really aware of, that we're not alert to. If you think about it, most of the world is really opposing God or against God. And we live in this world, and so there's no way to avoid living in this world. <clears throat> but if we're not careful, we can be easily influenced and impacted by what the world says is right or good or true. That's really contrary to what God's Word says. Now, everyone has to develop their own convictions before the Lord, and I'm not here to judge or say you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. That's really between you and the Lord, but I just want you to consider and think about what's your typical day like? What's your typical week? Um, and, you know, what, what movies do you watch? What podcasts do you listen to? If you're on your, assuming people have phones, what are you scrolling and looking at? And what messages are those things telling you? And how are you being impacted or influenced by those? Again, it, it can be so subtle and we don't even realize it. 
But there's not really anything neutral in this world. Things are going to be that everyone has an agenda and they're going to be promoting their agenda. And are we aware and alert? Are we just, just <clears throat> are we walking along with them and being influenced by them and not recognizing that and not understanding it? So Pastor Tim Greeno several weeks ago uh, reminded us that there's this internal battle that's going on inside all of us, right? We have this thing called the flesh, our natural desires, our natural inclinations that want us to do things that find pleasure, comfort, whatever. And then we also have, if you're in Christ, we have the, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to guide us and direct us and encourage us into doing what's right and God honoring. And so there's this constant internal struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And he said, you know, which one are we feeding and which one are we starving? If we're not careful, we can be feeding the things that are really contrary to God and being influenced by those and not recognizing that. So, anyway, just as we get into the new year, it's just something to think about. What, what do I listen to? What do I read? What do I watch? And how has that impacted me? And are there things that I should do differently? Are there things that I should delete from my phone? Are there th things that I should consider so that I'm really being more spirit-led and spirit-filled? The, the second thing is so they, <clears throat> they stand in the pathway of sinners or, or they walk in the advice of the wicked. Then the next is they stand in the pathway of sinners. Again, another way to look at that or the way I wrote is um, that you take a position that aligns with those who do not follow God. So you move from just being influenced to actually making a stand or making a conviction or having, this is what I'm choosing to do. And it's so easy when we want to do something, we can go through all kind of mental, spiritual gymnastics to justify something that may be a little borderline or really is opposed to the wisdom of God's word. But because it's something we really desire, we really want, we can compromise. We can justify behavior, actions, or things that we do. And what we're really doing is we're standing in a pathway with sinners. No, it's, it's easy sometimes to not recognize the progression and where we're going and to find out how did, how did I get here? How did I come to this conclusion that this was okay to do? And really, God's word says, no, that is a wrong thing to do. Then the progression is next is to sit in the company of mockers. Go from walking to standing 
and then to sit. And what does, what's another way to look at sitting is you assume the position has a judge who mocks and scorns. I'm the one who says what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And you're not really looking to the authority of God's word anymore. And I don't know if you've thought about the word scorn. I don't really use that word very often, so I looked it up in the dictionary. And scorn means to dismiss as contemptible or unworthy, to show disdain or derision. So essentially, you're judging something has value or worth or does not have value or does not have worth. And it, and with this passage, it's obviously referring to somebody who's declaring the right things wrong. And, and it's easy for a person to get there. You know, I've, I've been pastor for a number of years and it's somebody can get hurt somebody can be offended and if they don't work that out <clears throat> they don't process things biblically they can actually end up not only not going to church but not reading their bible not following god and essentially saying this stuff this bible this Christianity, this church stuff, I've tried it, it doesn't work. It's, it's all just a bunch of, of bull, and why are you still doing this? Why are you pursuing it? And unfortunately, I've, I've had conversations with a number of people that have reached that point, and it's so sad. When you've had sweet fellowship with them and sweet times, and then several years later, they reach a point where, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. I don't want to have anything to do with church. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss their experience or their hurt because it's real for them. But it's easy to get to a place where you're a mocker and you're a scoffer. Now, I have an extended family member that is at that place. And it's really sad. You know, we used to talk and pray for one another and engage in things. And <clears throat> she was at a place in her life where she had a lot of time on her hands. And she spent a lot of time on the Internet. And she got down this weird path of the Bible isn't really God's word. It's just made up by man and all these things. And now when we try to have any type of spiritual conversation, it's just like... <laughs> It ends up in a conflict. It's like, okay, she won't even listen to reason anymore. I can't, I can't even try to explain my position because she's in a place where she's mocking and scoffing God and his word. And it's so sad. And it didn't used to be that way. And so <clears throat> this psalm really describes a progression, in my opinion. And we have to be careful because... We can be influenced and impacted by things that are really harming us and our desire for God and our desire for his word and not realize it. So I just encourage us as we think about this coming year. You know, are there things that we need to 
delete from our phone? Are there things that we need to make decisions to not allow that influence into our lives? Or do we need to... So, and again, that's a personal thing between you and the Lord. But don't don't pretend that I can do what I want and not be impacted by the ungodly influences that this world has on us. So then the, the psalmist goes on in verse 2 and he, <clears throat> and he paints a way different picture. He says, instead, his delight, the righteous, what do they delight in? The Lord's instruction. And because they delight in it, it says that he meditates on it day and night. He thinks about it all the time. What does God's word say? How can I live it out? What is true? How can I incorporate these truths into my life? And then this psalm says that person who does that is blessed or happy. A couple other things about this verse that says um, the name that it's used for God here is Yahweh or Jehovah, which is much more personal than it is Elohim, which is more of a just a more generic term for God. So it's really a personal thing that God wants us to know him. God wants us to know his ways. God wants us to really think about him. And how to draw near to him, how to please him, how to live a life that is honoring to him. Again, I think we need to remind ourselves that what is our goal? It's to know the Lord. And one of the ways to do that is through his word. So I just have a question for you. When you think about your life, think about um, what do you delight in? What do you take pleasure in? What do you look forward to? What are you? What excites you? Is it reading God's word, studying God's word? Now, a lot of us are in different places. I know some people are, are fairly new to trying to follow Christ, and so the Bible can be a little confusing, and it can be hard and difficult to understand, and. It's hard for me to delight in something that is confusing and I don't understand. Or maybe you've been following Christ for a long time. And the Word of God is now boring. It seems irrelevant. Or it's just something I feel like I have to do because that's what Christians do versus this is really something I delight and enjoy doing. And you realize we're in different places. And if you're in a place where you do not delight in God's word, try to figure out why. Why do I not delight in the word of God? And then if you need help understanding it or just, man, I'm just in a point in my life where I need encouragement, grab somebody. That you know is getting in God's word. And say, 
can we meet together? Can you just help me? Can we do a Bible study together for a little bit? Just so I can reach a place where I can confidently say, I delight in God's word. Because I want to be that person that is blessed. And if you read the psalm, the condition for being that blessed person is to be the person that delights in God's word. To delight in God's instruction. To delight in God's command. So I just encourage you to think about that question. What, what do I really delight in? What gets me excited? And if it's part of that is not God's word, what? Why? What needs to change? What, what, how can I get help if I need help? Then if you, <clears throat> then the psalmist transitions into what are the results? If you're someone who delights in God's word and you meditate on it, then it says you'll be like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So think about that. It says, first, he's like a tree. So what what is a tree? Or what can we say? Well, a tree is somewhat permanent, right? It's not like a flower that has a season and then is gone. So there's a permanent. And um, so it's stable. And it, it has uses. Often it's a fruit tree. And that's what it refers to here. And there, there's a beauty to it. So it says that you're a tr- like a tree. And then it says you're planted by flowing streams. So my wife and I, uh, a couple of years ago, we planted a couple of trees in our backyard. We spent enough money on them. We wanted to make sure that they lived. So... I dug a hole and put fertilizer and all, all these other things, and I faithfully watered it. I cared for this tree because I wanted to make sure it grew and matured. And this says, you're like a tree planted by living streams. So it's almost like God has planted you. And if God has planted you, he's going to care for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to nurture you. He's going to want to make sure that you grow. He's not going to just put you in the ground and say, well, I hope it survives. That's not the way God is. He's actively engaged in personal ways in our lives to help us to grow and mature because he loves us. Then it says that we're planted by flowing streams. So what's one thing trees need? is water. And this is a flowing stream, so it's not like the stream that sometimes has water, sometimes doesn't, an intermittent stream. It's a flowing stream. So God's Word, on an ongoing, continuous basis, provides life-giving instruction to us. So you can be like a tree planted by a flowing stream where God is always an ongoing teaching, instructing, encouraging, nourishing, and helping you grow and become more Christ-like. Then it says that it bears its fruit in season. 
So each person is a unique individual, right? God has uniquely gifted you. God has uniquely given you your life experiences. There's only one of you and the other 8 billion people in the world or whatever there is. And God has a plan. God has a purpose that he's designed for you. And it's fruit that only you can bear. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around fruit trees, but if you're around a fruit tree, can you go any time of the year and pick fruit? No. It has its season, right? And then when that season is there, you go and produce the harvest. So God is at work in our lives, and maybe we don't see the fruit of what he's doing. Because sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's a process that God is taking us through. And sometimes it's really hard. But the end goal is he wants to produce fruit in our lives. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it takes time. But it says that if we, this person that is really seeking God and his word, it says they'll bear their fruit in its season. It's quite a promise, isn't it? God is at work in our lives. Then it says its leaf does not wither. So during life, we experience trials and hardships and temptations And all kinds of things. But what this verse says is the person who delights in God's word, meditates on it day and night, its leaf will not wither. He'll be able to survive and persevere and actually thrive, in a sense, during a trial and during difficult times because they're connected to the Lord. And they're not basing their life on their circumstances they're basing it on the promises of God that never fail and then lastly it says he prospers in whatever he does so how many of you would like to have guaranteed success in whatever you do I think we all would but the The way God works, though, is the way he defines prospering is not always the way we would like it to be defined or the way the world defines it or the way we would want to define it. So sometimes prospering means that you're enduring a trial, but you're doing it in faith and you're not wavering. You know, recently I um, finished reading the book of Acts. And you think about the Apostle Paul. Would you say that he prospered? Just think about the number of churches that he started. Think about the books of the Bible that he wrote. Think about how he defended the faith and really helped keep the gospel pure, that it's by faith alone. In Christ. 
And yet, if you took a snapshot at different points in his life, he's being beaten. He's being stoned, left for dead. He's in prison for years. Would you, if you're looking at that snapshot in his life, would you say, boy, this man is prospering when people are throwing stones at him, trying to kill him? No. But yet, at the end of his life, what was Paul able to say? So and we'll look at this verse in Second Timothy. This is the last letter. It's probably shortly after he wrote this letter uh, that he was executed. In starting at verse six, in Second Timothy four, he says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close." I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So when we look at this term prosper, really I think what it means is we're in it for the long haul. No matter what happens in life, I'm going to get to the end of my life and I'm going to say, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. There's a reward waiting for me. I think that's really what prospering means. It's not all the material things that we tend to think of. But in a spiritual sense, that is prospering. That is enduring. So then the psalmist goes on and he contrasts <clears throat> what, the, what the righteous person has with what the wicked or the ungodly person is like. It says, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So we can summarize this as um, the wicked, or again, the ungodly. They're like chaff. I don't know if you guys know what chaff is, but... When you harvest grain, there's the grain that you want to keep, and everything else is double or chaff. And back when the psalm was written, they would harvest things, and they would beat <clears throat> beat what they harvested, and the grain would fall down, and the chaff would get blown away in the wind, and they would often gather it and burn it. But what is true about chaff is it has no value. There's no life. It's dry, it's worthless. It says it's blown away by the wind. It means that it doesn't persevere. It's easily influenced, easily able to drift to one wicked thing to another. Then it says it will not stand in judgment. So the Bible teaches that every one of us will stand before God. Every one of us will give an account of our lives. 
And if you're in Christ, then you have received the righteousness of Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you have to stand before a holy God who knows everything about you. No excuses. No blame shifting. And how can you stand before a holy God? You would stand condemned and judged. <clears throat> That's what that think that that means here. They will not be gathered with the righteous. So what God will do is those who are in Christ, they'll be gathered and will get to spend eternity with our God, with our Savior. But the wicked, the ungodly, they won't be able to be a part of that. There's quite a contrast, isn't there? Do you want to be a tree? Planted by living waters? Do you want to bear fruit in your lives? Or do you want to be chaff that's worthless and driven by the wind? And what the psalm teaches is that's really based on are you delighting in God's word? So the last verse in the psalm says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. <clears throat> Another um, version says that God knows the way of the righteous. So you think, again, it says the, the person is like a tree. So God is there watching, nurturing, caring, encouraging, and building up this tree, this person. So he watches over their way. He helps them. He assists them. And we have this great opportunity to really draw close to the Lord. And again, the, the Word of God is a tool. Spiritual discipline is a tool. But it does help us to live a life that's blessed as we really prioritize and seek to know God. So just want to share a couple of verses related to um, the Word of God. There's so many more that could be shared, but um, we'll just talk about these two. First one is in, found in Second Peter, chapter one, uh, verses three and four. It says, his, referring to God, divine power. So God, amazing divine power, has done what? What has God's power done? He's given us, who are his believers in Christ, what, is he, what has he given us? Everything. Not just some things. Not the basic necessities, but Everything. Everything for what? Everything that we need, everything that's required for life and godliness. So think about that. If you're in Christ, it says you've been given everything that's required to live a godly life. Everything. Now Ephesians says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God's grace is so amazing 
and so abundant and we don't understand it. We don't tap into it the way we need to. But here this verse says, God has given us everything required for life and godliness. And how do we get that? How do we get everything we need for life and godliness? It says, through the knowledge of him. Now this knowledge isn't an intellectual understanding. It really is an experiential understanding. So we can know God. Think about that. The God who created all that we see is intimate and personal with each one of us. We can know him in real personal ways. That's, and through that knowledge, through the more we grow in our relationship and our understanding and our love for him, the more we'll understand everything we have. The more we'll understand his grace. The more we'll understand how we can live a godly life that is honoring, honoring and pleasing to him. And he's called us by his own glory and goodness. It's not our glory. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about our goodness. There's nothing good in us apart from God. So it's all for his goodness. And then it goes on, for by these he's given us very great and precious promises. So where do we find these very great and precious promises they're in this book so this book is filled with very great and precious promises that help us to know our God that help us to live a life that is God honoring we can't do that without God's word we can't do that without these precious promises. Life is hard. It beats us up. We need to understand the grace of God and his love for us and his forgiveness. And we need to keep going back and taking these promises that God has given us and claiming them and holding them close and making them our own. They're not just words. They're promises. From a God who is faithful in every promise. A God who wants to know us and wants us to know him. And it says, uh, so that through them you may share in his divine nature. We get to be more and more Christ-like in our lives. And we can only do that as we escape the corruption that is in the world because of her evil desire, because of lust. So, isn't this an amazing passage? And we can escape the lust and the evil desires of this world. And we can live a life that is God-honoring and pleasing to him. And it comes from knowing him and knowing his promises. So are, are we that person that we really delight in God's word. And we are able to experience this. Again, we're not going to do it perfect. 
We all fail in many ways. But when we understand God's grace and his love and his forgiveness and repentance, man, we can we can experience life the way God wants us to and not feel beat up and run down by this world. Last uh, passage is 2 Timothy 3.16. Familiar passage, but it's just a good reminder. All of Scripture, even Leviticus, is inspired by God. It is profitable to teach us for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. God has so much for us. Are we allowing his word to teach us? Are we allowing his word to rebuke us? Are we allowing his word to correct us? Are we allowing his word to train us to do the right things? And just to keep in mind, what is the ultimate goal is to grow in our relationship with the Lord, (laughs) to live a life that is honoring to him, bring him glory and pleases him. And God's word is so essential to do that. So I just want to, you guys can do this with me. You guys look like you have some imagination left at the end of the year. So just imagine that uh, somebody has a camera and they're following you around this past year. So every time you're in God's word, anytime you're trying to memorize, study it, or you're in discussions with people, they're filming this film, okay? So just think about that. Somebody's there, anytime you're in God's word, anytime you're reading, studying, talking to other people, they're filming that. Okay, and then you get to the end of the year, and they replay this film. How long would it be? How long would that film be? And then if somebody else that didn't know you was watching it, what would they think, how much value do they place on God's Word? Does this person really delight in God's Word? Again, I just use that to challenge us. What do I really value? What is really important as we enter into this new year you know, I don't know what God would have for you, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to encourage us. Is there something I need to do different? Is there something I need to get out of my life and other things I need to get into my life so that I can say I delight in God's word? So that I can say I'm this blessed man because... I've been delighting in God's word and I'm like this tree that's planted by flowing water that bears its fruit and has green leaves and prospers and that I live this life of faith even when it's hard. So a few application points. Um, Just take time to really assess the influence of your life. Don't just assume that I'm good, that there's nothing that I'm allowing in my life that God would want me to say no to. Again, that's between you and the Lord. 
And second is really honestly evaluate, what do I delight in? What do I get excited about? What am I looking forward to this next year? And then if you find yourself not delighting in God's word, try to understand why. And get whatever help or assistance you need to not miss out on what God has for you this coming year. And then third is just to make any adjustments. You know, as you do this reflection assessment, uh, don't just say, oh, I should do these things, but make, actually do something. Make, make whatever adjustments that are necessary. And again, keep the end goal in mind. It's not to check the boxes. It's to know our Lord, to know our God who loves you. And it has infinite grace and mercy for us. So, uh, why don't we pray and uh, close here. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction that this psalmist gave. Pray that each one of us, God, would just grow in our delight in your word we would believe what Peter wrote in his letter that you have given us everything required for life and godliness to the knowledge of you and that you've given us great and precious promises Lord so that we can share in your divine nature and escape the corruption that's in this world because of lust and evil desires Pray that each one of us would just to take time to reflect and make whatever changes we need. It's only by your grace, Lord, we acknowledge we, we can't do this. We, we are so easily distracted and we thank you that you're faithful and you're good to us. Just pray that we would we'd be like trees that you nurture and uh, help grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.